0: to temporary fandoms this is the round table part of the podcast um, about five minutes ago all of my microphones and headphones and stuff stopped working very well so hopefully we'll get through the next hour or so uh, without any more technical shenanigans um with nick and myself we still have uh william shun hey bill hello and of course emily baldoni hey emily hello And we are going to get on it. So, um, Bill, can you set the scene for us? Austin, Texas, what was going on back in the 90s?
1: Uh, There was a lot of, uh, a whole lot of of indie noise going on. Um, Back in 1992, Britt Daniel was 22 and uh, drummer Jim Eno was 27 and they, uh, they met in a country rockabilly band called the Alien Beats, which was wait, just wait, wait. one
0: country rockabilly.
1: Yes. I, I, Sounds all right to me.
0: How old were they again?
1: Uh, Britt was 22, Jim was 27. And uh, I guess uh, Jim had just come to, had just come to town uh, as an electrical engineer. He was designing microchips for Motorola. Um, a lot of technology in Austin drawing people to that area. And uh, Britt had been working in video games doing uh sound design and things like that. And he was uh finishing up a, a radio television film degree at the University of Texas. Britt Daniel had previously been in a band called Skellington, uh, just to throw in another reference, which was named after the Julian Cope album. And they had put out a couple of, of uh, small releases on indie labels. And on his own, Britt. Did a few very lo-fi solo recordings under uh, the name Drake, Drake Tungsten. And
0: uh, Drake Tungsten was the one that had, well, I can't believe Kurt Cobain <laughs> is dead.
1: I was going to mention that. But <laughs> I think that pretty much sums up the aesthetic of, of Drake Drake Tungsten. The, it's a short song. The first two lines are: I can't believe that uh, that Kurt Cobain is dead. I wish that it were Axel Rose instead.
0: <laughs> Okay, so that's a, that's a good start. And it also sets up a good example of the sort of acerbic wit that we, we, we tend to get from Brit later. At some point in this pod, I may refer to him as Brett because my brain has just been mixing up those two words all day. Okay, so the original lineup: um, we've got Jim, Ina, we've got Brit... Was there anybody else that came involved
1: for the first album? The first, the first album um, after the Alien Beats broke up, they put together Spoon, and that included uh, a female bass player named Andy Maguire, who only lasted through that one album. And they put out a uh, an EP called *Nefarious* on a small label, and with that, they got signed to Matador, and Britt was able to or able to was empowered, emboldened to quit his job doing uh, sound effects for video games.
0: Okay. Um, and Telephono was what year are we talking?
1: Ninety... The uh, Telephono came out in 96, looks like. Uh, the Nefarious EP was 94.
0: Okay, okay. Um, yeah, i um- I'm not going to be, even if I, I know it's probably is pronounced telephono, but because I live in Spain, I keep <laughs> seeing this word. And I'm there going, no, I will not let me not say telephono. That's, that's, that's how say,
2: I always think of it too, as like, I, if it's a Spanish word. To, yeah.
1: yeah, I had to think very consciously to say telephono because I want to say telefonó also. <laughs> um, I've heard Brit say the name of the album, so I know yeah. it's pronounced that way. And it's, yeah. it's probably well, no. a, a weird Tex-Mex kind of thing.
0: <laughs> and so they're from, I mean, I I mean, I live, I spent a few years living in California, but all I really know about Texas is um, Austin is the cool place and there's nothing else.
1: Exactly. Is that, that about right? <laughs> that about sums it up. Austin is green and cool. And the, the motto of the city is keep Austin weird. Isn't that also
0: Portland? <laughs> Doesn't Portland have the same?
1: They might. <laughs> I mean,
2: Austin is pretty much like the Portland of texas and it really and is vice versa. Yeah. yeah
1: it's 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 a it's a, an oasis of of tolerance and cool surrounded by a whole lot of uh red hatred and nothingness
2: we're gonna um, get a lot of uh, texas fans
0: <laughs> probably well, to be honest probably not <laughs> <laughs> uh, so telephono came out in 96 um i've sort of mentioned before on this pod that particularly from the UK anyway, it seemed like America had gone to sleep rock-wise or guitar-wise sort of mid-90s and sort of woke up again, or at least woke up again on the international stage towards the turn of the millennium. Um, to let I don't think made any splash over this side of the pond. Um, Emily, was this one of the ones... Was, was, was this college? No, college for you was afterwards. So when were you aware of
2: I, I actually didn't listen to it until somewhat later. Um, I yeah, this isn't one of the albums that I really listened to much at the time when I was listening to a bit more Spoon. But I kind of went back to it later on, and I, and I really I really liked it a lot. Actually, I think in part because it um, sounds a lot like the Pixies.
1: Yeah, they they definitely sound a lot like the Pixies there, and and Britt Daniel has never shied away from from saying so and i think the fact that they've got uh, uh, andy playing bass and providing harmonies on some songs mm-hmm. so there's a, a female voice in there uh, makes it even sound more like the pixies
0: um and, and also i mean for me this is not one of my favorite um spoon albums or it's at least one i, I go back to almost the least um brit's voice sounds wrong to me i don't know why it sounds like he's trying to be black francis he's trying to scream a bit more than he does in later albums um i i I know that bands change and bands evolve um for me this seems too derivative uh as compared to, to to later stuff and like emily i mean i went back to this after getting into them significantly later um nick Now, I know from various WhatsApp WhatsApp messages, um, you found some of this tedious, torturous.
3: Not torturous, no, 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 no. (laughs) The thing is, the thing I struggle with is that I'm I'm trying hard to like them and I don't dislike them. I just don't go that extra mile with a band where you kind of, you know, go to understanding what the fans like. You being able to sort of feel that. Um, I mean, I understand it at a kind of objective level because I've read a lot about them now and I can see, I can understand all the kind of interesting stuff they're doing in the studio and stuff, but just they don't click for me. So this first one obviously doesn't sound like the latest Spoon sound. Or, um, I, can, I My notes are basically just, it's just a list of other bands. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it's even fair to, to read them out. But, but I kind of had the same sort of reaction to it as to other records in that I kind of enjoyed the uh, kind of late 90s alt-rock sound, but I don't get on with Brit Daniel's voice, even if he's singing differently here. And again, I don't, I don't dislike it, but I do think that that for me is the missing link.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, I can see that. I mean, what, we'll, we'll get onto to what I love about the band later on. And what I love about the band is nowhere to be found on this album.
2: Okay. Um,
0: for me, every album that's good, for me, every single Spoon album, the first time I've heard any single one, it's been like, huh, well, that's not okay. And then by the sixth or seventh listen, I'm like, oh, no, I was totally wrong. This is amazing. And all the little yeah. hooks and everything have borrowed their way into my head. Yeah. This album's never done that for me. I sort of, it's sort of a pre-Spoon album, I guess. For me, um, so Emily, I know that you you had a bit of nostalgia, like early '90s sort of indie rock. With, you, you've been on, on before, uh, mentioned uh, Nirvana and the sort of MTV Live Unplugged sessions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Did this fit into your '90s wheelhouse?
2: Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think it. it uh... I wasn't aware of it contemporaneously with that at the time. You know, like this wasn't something I wasn't I wasn't cool enough at the time to, to, to you know know about the first. What the were first you listening to now. in '96? Ah, uh, oh god, I don't even. I. I, I, I don't remember. know. I was I was very young. Let's not go too too far too deep <laughs> okay. into that. I was okay. I was okay. still in high school in '96, so I feel I can be forgiven some, not super not super cool musical but i do really i I just want to say i maybe i I didn't mean when i said like oh i like it it sounds like the pixies i didn't mean that dismissively i actually really do like the first album um and i mean to me like there, i absolutely hear this kind of other like early 90s or mid 90s um kind of musical touchstones um but it still sounds different enough to me. And I think it was also just kind of a, it was a nice surprise going back and listening to this later on after being much more familiar with different periods of the band's sound. You're like, oh, like I didn't didn't know they ever sounded quite like this. And since on some later albums, um, you know, sometimes they get a little too kind of perfectly produced to me. So it was actually kind of welcome to me, this slightly kind of rockier, um, rougher, sound
0: i really liked to hear from them yeah okay that, 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 that doesn't make sense especially with the comment about how they do get very uh perfectly produced later on uh and i could see how that could be sometimes you want a bit of a a shambolic ramshackle janky jangly guitar thrown in um bill um you look like you wanted to say something you were leaning forward towards the microphone so i'm just gonna throw it over, back over to you
1: well this album is never one that I've really gravitated to either. I haven't listened to it nearly as much as probably anything else in their catalog. But when I re-listened to it this time, uh, I noticed some things that hadn't really I, I hadn't really seized onto before, like the way that so many of these songs are structured very unpredictably. You don't know exactly uh, where they're going to go based on where they've started or what they've already done, which I found really exciting on this last listen. And the other thing I really I noticed was the way they were throwing in a lot of strange key signatures or uh, time signatures and so forth, like not turning off suddenly it goes into five four in in some places. And they were doing very interesting little things that I just hadn't noticed before uh, on earlier listens to the album that made me like it more, but still um, I'm not so much a fan of the of the uh Pixies wannabe sound uh filtered through Nirvana and maybe there's some wire in there also. Um but their their influences are are great. They picked good influences, um, but this is not at the top of the heap, but not a throwaway album for me either. anymore. okay, so
0: well what that's probably a good time for us to move on. Um in the in the musical introductions, I mentioned that they have a brief uh, release of a new EP. Basically, they, they move to what? Elektra. Um, can't get the Soft Effects EP and Series of Sneaks. Their next album out in about 98. Uh, the new album seems to be a bit more angular, sort of stop, start, stop, start. It's, what, 33 minutes with 14 tracks, starting with Utilitarian, um, and the very radio-friendly... Car radio, um, because apparently car radio isn't how you pronounce car radio. Did, was this the album that made them?
1: This album uh, made some of their reputation. Uh, they they got a lot of press for having signed with Elektra and getting on board there. But like with a lot of bands that came out around this period, Elektra didn't really support them as much as they could. I mean, Elektra was kind of doing the same thing to, to Not A Surf and some other uh, big indie bands at the time.
0: Wait, wait, not, not A Surf, were they the ones that had Popular?
1: Popular, yes.
0: And they continued as a band after Popular? Because oh, in my head yeah, they just disappeared.
1: Not, not A Surf uh, is still going and still putting out albums. I've, <laughs> I've had dinner with, with them before, which is ah. a whole different story.
0: Um, so 1998, um, Nalisa, lots of sort of all very similar style uh, U.S. Uh, alt-rock bands sort of starting to come out. Um, they've got this new album. They're signed to Electra. Um, you say that maybe, you know, um, they got, who was it? Lafitte? Lafitte?
1: Ron Lafitte. Ron Lafitte, yes. who,
0: who we might as well address now because he had such a big impact on them that they, well... They, they they wrote songs about him. Uh, Ronafit was their
1: A&R guy. Yes, yeah, he was he was their A&R guy, and he's the guy who actually lured Spoon away from Matador. Matador had uh, an option, uh, or Spoon had the option to sell their next album to Matador, but Lafitte made the case that they would be better off at Elektra, and promised them the world. Uh, <laughs> Brit says in the song, uh, the the agony of defeat that really all he wanted was a copy of Garage Days Revisited by Metallica. <laughs> That's what he wanted out of the deal. Uh, I don't think he even got that. Uh, Lafitte started acting pretty squirrely after uh, the album came out. Uh, he probably knew for months ahead of time that he was heading out the door at Elektra. He left and he abandoned Spoon and several other artists. Um, and uh Electra ended up dropping Spoon and all these other bands who had they had promised the moon to.
0: So, how long so after the release of this album did they then get dropped?
1: I think it was within a year. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't was the album
0: a massive? Was it a commercial flop at the time? Did that? That,
1: that I don't know. I, I'm sure it did better than uh, than Telefono did. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, I don't think it was, it was such a, a disaster, but I think Electra just didn't know, wasn't really interested in having all these bands, uh, especially once Lafitte was gone. And so they just dropped them all, and, and Spoon really practically went back to busking at that point. Um, wow. The band did, seemed like they were dead.
0: Didn't Brit go and get a job in Advocacy? Or no, he worked or... at
1: uh, he he worked at a Citibank. I don't know exactly what he did there, but he, he moved to New York and got a job. Wow. <laughs> I think there's a there's an apocryphal story that one of the members of Sleater Kinney went into a Citibank and saw him there and was like, "What are you doing?"
0: Hi, I'm Britt. How can I help you with your savings <laughs> and mortgage? Yeah, um, Emily. Um, mm-hmm. what or- Okay, so what order did you? come to Spoon. Um, I arrived much later and worked my way back. You've always said you worked back, but back from where?
2: I mean, I think this is, this is one of the ones, even though this, this came out, I, I didn't listen to this right when it came out, but a few years later I heard this one. And I, this is, to me, kind of in 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 my mind, this is like the beginning of sort of what Spoon sounds like, even though I know they'll kind of continue to go more in that sort of minimalist vein the next few albums. But I, I like this one a lot, and I also... Um, I like actually the, what's the EP that came out right before this? The
1: Soft, soft effects. effects.
2: That first um, track on Soft Effects was that Mountain to Sound. I just, I, like, I love that one. Like, I love, like, the like the super, This is, again, you can tell what part of Spoon I like better, but I love the like, the, like, the super crunchy, repetitive guitar thing on that, and then it goes into these weird sort of counterintuitive chord changes. Um, so, yeah, I like this. This is kind of. The part of spoon that I tend to like the best. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's a there's a song later on on I think Kill the Moonlight where Brit actually name checks Mountain to Sound. Mm. I was listening to Mountain to Sound. The way it's panned is cool.
0: <laughs> That's That's right, very, it's right about that. that. That is very meta. Um, <laughs> Nick, I mean, for me, this is a perfect album of two minute two minute fifty four. Uh, Jangly indie indie rock songs um it's not who spoon become and it's not necessarily the spoon i love but it is definitely going in that direction um where's your well on it, it's a uh, it, series of sneaks
3: it's up a little i'm not entirely sure of the uh, vocabulary of the well yet so I'm, I'm sort of struggling to talk about it in in, in terms of well but um is more well a good thing Sure. There, there was some whelm. I, 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 I whelmed a bit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, though, so no, this one actually got quite a few listens. And um, I think 30 Gallon Tank may be one of my favorite Spoon songs. Really love that. Yes, uh, you know. Yeah, love the riff and the, what the, the drums and the guitars are doing together in that. Just It's just very interesting. I'm still, um, I guess, erring very much towards underwhelmed with the vocals. And that's, that's still my, my barrier. But there's, there's stuff going on in this album that, that I like, and it did grow on me with repeated listens, Uh, Staring at the Board. was also a track I liked. um, It sort of has a slightly more lo-fi sound to it, which again is not something you associate with Spoon.
0: I don't know. I mean, some of the albums are very, I mean, they are very stripped down, but then as Emily's already alluded to later on, everything is is produced to the point of exactly how they want it. There's nothing sloppy. Um, Quickly on the voice, um, for me, Sometimes it sounds like Brit is singing in a faux British accent.
3: I've noticed that, but that that in itself, I don't think is what bothers me. But I've definitely noticed it.
0: (laughs) Um, Is is this just my ear? I want to ask the Americans in the room, which is half of us. Um, Does he sound British? Does Brit sound British to you?
1: That's That's a good question. He not not really to me. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he listened to so much Julian Cope that he was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of internalized that. But I've always found it strange that uh, more bands from the UK don't sound so British to me when I hear them singing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they want to sound American. Yeah.
0: I, I, think, I think there's also it, it's some accents. Some accents mm-hmm. are very strong and stay. Oh, it's uh, it's hard
1: to mistake Oasis, for instance. Oasis,
0: yeah. uh, Arctic Monkeys. I uh, think like you can listen, you go, oh yeah, that's a that's a northern voice. Um, uh, but then some of it is just yeah. I mean, you don't necessarily want every English band to go. All oh, right, there we're singing about stuff because <laughs> it would just it would be awful. Um, we are we are going down a route. So Lafitte left them. They were kicked off Elektra. Um, Brent went to work to the bank and then they just decided to give it one more go. How did they get back in the studio? Who signed them, uh, Phil?
1: Uh, eventually, they, they weren't signed initially. They wanted, they, they were hungry to keep making music. Um, and after licking their wounds for a little while, they pulled themselves together and they, they put out this uh, double single under the title, The Agony of Lafitte. Uh, and both this both the songs on this single name check lafitte in the titles it's agony of lafitte and lafitte don't fail me now and they're the first one is pretty mournful i think it it's just like we're so sad that you screwed us over how could you do this and the second one is is just really nasty <laughs> and and mean and that really uh that made their reputation the fact that they were willing to do such a public screw you to Elektra Records and put out this single and, and start over again. Uh, by the way, they put this single out on uh, Connor Oberst's label. And that got them a whole lot of, of fans who started coming out to the shows. Um, the, the buzz started building.
0: Was, so was this the time, jumping in, was this around the time that the, the, there was the home EP? Because there was... But he that, came with Connor and Brit.
1: that came a few years later i think okay. two thousand four maybe uh yeah no this hadn't this hadn't happened yet but um spoon started uh uh recording the new album entirely on their own that uh they produced it with uh mike McCarthy but uh Britt was becoming more interested in in uh adding more instruments to his sonic palette and sort of turning to a more classic songwriting structure. And Jim Eno was learning a lot more about music production. And together, the two of them uh, were able to really reconfigure the spoon sound. And from what I understand, also, they weren't just uh, recording in you know people's basement studios. Brit would go into the University of Texas, into uh, the music practice rooms and record on pianos and just, you know, grab sounds wherever he could. And through all that, they put together Girls Can Tell and then started shopping the album around. And that's when Merge Records picked them up.
0: OK, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a very weird way for an established, a semi-established band to actually be doing it, to literally going around with something on what so 2000 something on minidisc uh to probably, go and get, yeah. get get somebody to sign um, emily you mentioned to me previously before this this part that uh this is one of your favorites or one of the ones you listen to the most is that correct
2: yeah i mean i, I would say i say yeah this and the the one before and after it are probably the ones that i've listened to the most yeah um, yeah
0: so so is this your entry point here I, I, I'm gonna ask this every album or two so yes Until we get uh,
2: <laughs> no so so my actual entry point is is the next one actually but this ah. you know this had come out just a little bit before so it was still very much um yeah it was one of the ones that I that I listened to a lot at the point in my my life where I was <laughs> listening to a lot of Spoon um yeah I mean I I I like this one too um I like the opener a lot the um that everything hits at once it's it's you know the the beginning of them being it's a less of the straightforward kind of rock sound and you can hear them going into a more pop direction but it's it's a really good breakup song i think <laughs> um i like a good breakup song um it i will say this album does also have possibly one of my my most disliked spoon songs on it as well and Which <laughs> but, is. um this is the one that has um has fitted shirt on it is that right
0: Bill's look of, of stunned I was gonna s was about to say stunned disbelief, but then as I looked over on Zoom, I saw the name Bill Shun and my, my brain went, Shunned? No, no, what's his name? Ah, stunned. Bill's stunned disbelief. <laughs> um, to be honest, I I agree with you on, on that song, Emily, but also I find this album just to be a bore fest. I love this band and this album. I listened to it and it disappeared. And I go, "Oh, I can't remember it. Nothing. It's never, ever, ever got me." And I think it's the problem with the opening track mm-hmm. because every other album has this an opening track that's quite loud and brash and yeah. gets in your face a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I think that this is more subtle and a bit more mature.
2: It's kind of moody, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not it, as brash. I agree with you about that.
0: Exactly, and yeah. it just never gets mm-hmm. me. I mean, this, this, and telephono are the two albums I never listened to. Um, like ever, which is odd because I listen to a lot of Spoon. Um, Bill, you've heard you've heard two people diss certain <laughs> things on this album. Uh, your jaw dropped once, and your eyebrows raised the second time.
3: Uh, don't do both well at once; your face this, will rip. I this album, like
0: this, this
1: this album does rubbery things to my face. Um, <laughs> I I love this album. It's not my favorite Spoon album. I don't think it's their best album. Uh, and like Emily, I came to them probably around Kill the Moonlight the first time. But working my way back to this one, I love the opening track. And uh, I just am always taken in by the, the different varieties of rhythm. They're able to get out of just a, a small set of instruments on every song. Um, everything hits at once is, is fantastic, in my opinion. And I love the fitted shirt because I think this whole album is uh sort of a it's a it's a throwback nostalgic album you can even hear some some r b in there but you know fitted shirt is nostalgia for this imagined time when things used to be made better than they are now and brit and jim have made a better album than they than they had before they're they're putting their money where their mouth is uh what are some of the other al- uh, songs I love on this? Chicago at Night, I think, is a is a terrific um, ender to the album as well. And there's a really, I, I didn't even realize until recently what 10:20 a.m. was about, but that was the, the time of day when Brit's grandfather died, and that song's all about you know carrying his his casket to the to the graveyard, and it's got really interesting, sad uh, flute sounds, kind of like something out of Fool on the Hill. I just I think the way they completely revamped their sound well it, you can still see it in the continuum with what came before but it, it's very impressive to me every time I hear it.
0: I I think that there is a the thing that a motif that will come back to time and time again that every album sounds like Spoon but doesn't sound like Spoon per se and this is definitely a step away from that last album it is more mature it is more poppy there is a lot there's a lot more going on um but like how uh, Emily missed the, the janky, janky guitars from before, I really missed them moving into this album. Um, Nick, where, where where are you on this one?
3: I, I actually kind of like this one. and um, <laughs> I knew you would.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Ever the contrarian. But no, but, I, but I, actually um, I'm going to make the third vote for uh, Everything Hits at Once. I think that's a great tune. That's one of the ones that kind of really stood out to me and also... Again, with repeat Listens, I was like, See, actually, this one's pretty good. I like this one. But also, in, in my notes, <laughs> um, I, I also noted Take the Fifth. And the only reason I noted that is because I was cooking at the time and I had a little dance, and I thought it would be remiss of me not to mention it. Spoon <laughs> made me dance. But it was that, so take, take the Fifth. That's a stomper. Yeah, yeah. that a little, little kitchen shimmy to that. Yeah. She's that- always a vote in a favor of any album, really.
1: Yeah. Oh, those, totally. those bass country, uh, piano notes on that song. I love it.
0: Um, okay. So, so we've got this more, um, mature album. It's definitely slicker. They're learning how to make a sound and they are becoming a band different from their peers at least. Um, for me, moving on to the next album, Kill the Moonlight, Kill the Moonlight is where this newfound maturity and, uh, production skill, uh, revisits sounds from maybe um, a series of sneaks, brings back a sort of something uh, quirky and original. Um, from We've got an opening track that barely has any drums. We've got some beatboxing. We've got uh, Brit singing to himself and back and call and repeat throughout this album. Um, Kill the Moonlight is when modern day Spoon turn up, right? I mean, this is when they become something. The previous album was that sort of, oh, we're doing something new, but this is when they finally arrived. Emily, this, this, wait, 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 was this, was this where you came in? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so how was it, was it, you're, you're at college, it, was it on the radio, was it at, I, I College parties? I'm no. trying to remember what American college looks like.
2: <laughs> I, I, I mean, as a general rule of the music, at least at the college I went to, that was played at, at college parties was really terrible music. But um, the, I mean, I heard this, yeah, not on the radio, anything like that is uh, like, it was like through friends, like you would have a friend who put something on like a, a mixtape or a mix CD for you or something like that. Or you hear it when you go over to the, their apartment for drinks or something like that. Um, and then I think I got a copy of it, and it's just—I remember. It's a, I think you can think of it as a really good headphones album, actually, because it's—it is the first of those really kind of just super immaculately produced, all those like little sounds that are are just perfectly placed yeah. at the right. I think that's spot. an excellent
0: point. I think I find Spoon to be a headphones band, like just in general, the amount of times I go, "Oh, oh, that's clever." Which I know isn't the, the joy that you necessarily want from music. You want it to make well, you dance.
2: It depends, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they're constantly surprising you by putting little sounds in and playing playing verses differently each time they do it.
0: Yeah, there's there's a, a track in a, a couple of albums that every time I listen to it, I I... Th- my brain goes, oh, you're still listening to piano. But in reality, the piano stopped about 30 seconds ago. But the, the melody is, is, is still going on. Um, so we've got um, the way we get by. We've got Jonathan Fisk here. Uh, Jonathan Fisk, a, a, a song about a school bully who, has been, who, who used to bully Brit at school, but then now comes to Spoon Gigs and Brit finds out and writes his song about Jonathan Fisk, as, and as Brits has never sounded more Elvis Costello than <laughs> anything else he's done. that he a story, he, right, Bill?
1: He tells me he counts my teeth every night. I <laughs> <laughs> love that line from the song. It's a good line. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a true story as far as I know.
0: Um, so we've got that. We've also got Stay, Don't Go, which is...
3: Go on, sing, it, is the... sing it, sing it.
0: No, <laughs> but it's the first time. It's the first. You, you've got the beatboxing. You've got Brit playing with his voice, and you've got a few moments on this album where it's genuinely experimental, but without being "ooh, we're experimental." It's "oh, this is some, this is a pop song, but a pop song that has been put in a blender."
1: Yeah, and he's singing in falsetto on that song too, and it and it doesn't sound unnatural, which it kind of does in other places earlier when he goes into that higher register, but this. He's got it nailed on this one.
0: Definitely. Um, favorite songs, Emily? Was which...
2: I? I mean, I I feel like this is not a. I don't know if I think this is not an obvious choice, but I, my favorite song on this, and always at the time, my favorite Spoon song was "Paper Tiger," actually, um, which which along those lines of like it being like sort of sneakily experimental, you know, it's got a lot, there's so much open space in that song. There's like there's a lot of silence between the different bars. And I just it's kind of like, you know, echoey. And I, I like that one a lot.
0: Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, sometimes they, they they are able to have songs sound either very dense, um, and intricate or totally open and minimalist and stripped down and they are very good at using headphones or production to Mm -hmm. give you certain senses of different types of space. Um, for me, this is, yeah, this is when Spoon becomes Spoon. Nick, you liked the last one?
3: Well, I mean, first listen, it made almost no impression at all. And this is the problem I have with Spoon Records, where I listen to it and then afterwards you ask me about it and I'm like, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it while it was playing, but I, it's gone. It's it's just dissipated into the air. But, you know, I, I tried to give all these lessons, records a few listens where I could because I do feel that they're, they're growers. And if I just had one Spoon Record to spend the time with, I could probably get there given maybe 30 listens. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I, I liked the way we get by on this. And it always seemed to be like either the opening track or the second track. And so I, don't, I don't know if that's because they front load their albums or I just get bored and stop paying attention.
0: I, I, I think, they def, I think they def, there's a big choice with what the opener is. I mean, you go through almost all the albums and the opener is a, is a statement yeah. track um, that usually sort of... It, it's. It grabs your attention, Mm -hmm. um, which is why, like I said, I um, I don't know, I never sort of warmed to the previous one. I think this is great. Um, Took me a while to warm to this album because I was still working back um, and I found it a bit underdeveloped at times, the first few times I listened to it. And then I realized I was wrong. I just hadn't been listening right (laughs) or correctly. Bill.
1: Yeah, this is is one of my favorite Spoon albums and this – is where I came in as well. I was hearing Spoon on uh, mixed CDs that I was getting from friends. I belonged to this uh, CD mix of the month club, and it was around 2004 I started hearing tracks from Spoon, and I'd, I'd heard the name before, but never really heard it before. And uh, the way we get by is one of those tracks that really grabbed me and made me want to uh, find out more about this band. And I really love Small Stakes also on this album uh stay don't go is obviously great we talked about that um yeah and and i like paper tiger too those are some of the high points for me on this album
0: yeah i think definitely this was still not even my entry point I, i i hadn't even heard of Spoon by this point they were they were one of those bands that took a while to properly make it over and it was only really with probably websites like annoyingly pitchfork or stereo gum actually being able to to discover and read about bands particularly bands who were getting consistently uh high review scores or being well received um so i'm not even i don't even turn up a gimme fiction i turn up a gaga gaga All the guys. I turned up <laughs> in two is. albums. I turned up in two albums a time. However, I do know that they, they they broke into the UK psyche a little bit with Gimme Fiction. And particularly moving on to this with, obviously, I turned my camera on, which is like nothing they've done before, except you can see precursors of that with the falsetto. But it's falsetto with, uh, I think it was, was it Jim Eno said, let's do a bit of disco funk in there. And they were, yeah, sure, why not? This will work. Uh, and that, I, that was possibly the first time I heard them, although it didn't really stick with me at the time. Um, what year are we talking about with Gimme Fiction, Bill?
1: That's 2005.
0: Okay, so pretty close. It's,
1: yeah, it's been what? It's been actually three years since Kill the Moonlight. I'm not sure everything they were doing during that period, maybe a lot of touring.
0: When was the movie... Oh, it's probably a little later. When was the movie Adaptation? No, no, no,
1: no. Stranger Than Fiction.
0: Stranger Than Fiction. Sorry, Adaptation yeah. was a Nick Cage. Stranger Than uh, Fiction, was it now? Because a lot uh, of the tracks from no, this and an album appear on that as they basically two, did the soundtrack.
1: 2006. Okay, so... Yeah. A little so just, just after Gimme
0: Fiction. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So they did this album, and then they, they got to do a soundtrack, which is nice. Um, although they could have done a bit more with it, but Gimme Fiction, great. We've got Sister Jack, we've got um, I Summon You, which I believe is Brit's favourite track. He keeps referring to that as the best thing he's ever he's ever written. Emily, you're now a Spoon fan. You 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 fell for them in the in the previous album. The new album's out. You know who they are. You're putting it on CDs for other people. Um, how did this album hit you?
2: Well, I I guess I I would. I would put it in kind of two parts because I think I I think I heard um, I, I heard I turned my camera on first. Um, I don't know if it was it was issues as like a single first or not. I'm not sure what the sequencing was, but I definitely heard that before I heard the rest of the album. And I remember being just like, like whoa, this is a spoon song. Like, you know, like they're doing this sort of you know this disco sound. It, it was not how I expected them to sound at all, but it was so. Um, it seemed like it was such a perfect track, you know, it's very like tight and it's very sexy in like a way that I don't really didn't really think of Spoon as being sexy. <laughs> necessarily.
0: Oh, they could do sexy. Although it always feels a bit weird, but they're definitely, they can definitely do yeah.
2: Matches. And it's, it, it's such a great song. The thing is, for me, then when I heard the actual album, the full album... It, it was almost a little bit of a disappointment for me because that, that that lead single was just so good. And it was kind of, I felt a little underwhelmed by the rest of the album. There's, there, I mean, there's good songs on there, definitely. I mean, they can write a good pop song, but I, to me, in all honesty, as much as I love I Turn My Camera, on, um, this album was sort of the beginning of me starting to fall away from them a little bit. Okay,
0: okay, I can, I can get that. Mm. Um, I also find this album very front heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I put it. I start it off more often than I finish it. Um, Bill, um, you said that this was sort of this is your your run of favorite Spoon albums. This is, this is one, Chris?
1: yeah. The uh, my ranking changes all the time, but this one's usually up there. And right now, I think it's my favorite Spoon album. I think it. Give me fiction. It's it's in the title. I think it creates this whole little alternate universe of its own, and I like the the world of this album you know they've they they went down to basics on kill the moonlight and here they're starting to build their sound back up and making it a little more complex again Um, but that's mirrored by this really uh complex melding of the music and and the lyrics where you got uh songs like beast and dragon adored right out right out of the gate puts you in kind of a, an apocalyptic mood because of the, the references to the Book of Revelations there. And then the two sides of Monsieur Valentine takes you into this strange alternate universe where there's a play called The Stranger Dance. And Brit wants to wants to play the lead. And even as he's describing what happens in the play, um, the roles keep changing. By the end, he he's. Uh, He's making love to the Duke and sword fighting with the queen. And it's just, I find this, this whole album sort of off kilter like that. And I really like the way that um, these songs, uh, most of them sort of illustrate uh, some kind of emotional distance. Like, especially I I turn my camera on, I think is the, is the really um, the most, straightforward example of that but in every song here as far as i can tell um brit is keeping himself at some kind of a remove from whoever he's talking to or or who he loves or even from himself there's just so much uh disconnect in this album in in the best sense of of the word it's all about disconnection and uh i think i just think this is a fantastic album. And I, I do keep coming back to it because it, it keeps sounding a little different to me every time I listen to it.
0: Okay, no, I, I can see that. I mean, for me, it was definitely it's definitely their first dab at being surreal. Um, sometimes I haven't always been able to to decipher what Brit is saying or, or, or when, he's, when he's singing. And the two sides of Michelle Valentine, I, I, I gave up trying after a while. I was like, Something about it? No, no, no idea. I really don't know what what is going on <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, they're definitely trying some, to, some more interesting things. Uh, I like Sister Jack, um, but it's a bit classic pop. My mathematical mind um, is is great piano rock.
3: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Nick, how are you on piano
3: rock? <laughs> Depends what you're doing with the piano, I guess. Um, <laughs> but my notes literally just say "sister Jack," and then there's a little tick, which must have meant I liked it. But did you don't do to sing it? I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think I think I'd have made a note of that.
0: I always thought I, I, I would have had you down as a t- I turned my camera on. I did like um, that actually. I
3: heard you nice. that. You see, I heard that in isolation um, elsewhere, not not in the album, and, and enjoyed it more. And that I think is quite telling for me with Spoon that I think a lot of the tracks. I kind of like on their own but I struggle with whole albums of them but and the I'm still album, trying to figure out why that is I don't know I if don't I know why that is if I, if I can't work not, it out by the end of this podcast I'm probably going to give up
0: it's not like the albums are long I mean most albums no it's not a length thing at, no. under 40 minutes yeah. you know, no songs are, no, they, they don't really have 7, 8, 9, 10 12 minute uh, epics it's generally oh this one's 5 minutes oh my god that was an outlier Mm-hmm. Uh, they, their songs turn up. Don't really overstay their welcome. Usually do something quite interesting. Um, I personally think "Kill the Moonlight." I prefer to "Gimme Fiction," um, but it can it can fluctuate. Now, what doesn't fluctuate is how awesome and amazing "Gag Is it five guys or
1: five, four it's
0: Five, five guys. "Gag to, to the Power of five um, is because that's my entry point. Um, which was the point I stopped. Um. Ignoring this, this well reviewed band from America and actually trying to give them a listen. And the first time I heard Gaga, Gaga, ga, ga, um, I went, yeah, it's all right. And then the second time I got a bit more. And by about four or five or six or seven, I, I thought it was amazing. It was astounding. Back to back all the time. Um, from, the, from, from the opener to, to the closer, um, I don't think there's a, a single track on this album that isn't exceptional. Um, it's it's pop. It's a pop album. It's it's yeah. It does some interesting things. Um, Don't make me a target is a phenomenal way to start an album. Although I can't listen to that song without thinking of the Adam Buxton fan video. Um, Bill Emily, if you've never seen it, there's a there's a comedian in England called called um, called Adam Buxton. He has a podcast. Uh, he's a massive, massive, massive spoon fan. And he basically has this video of him talking to himself um, and he's at a desk making a, a target, a paper target. And then he's standing there talking to himself, basically going, no, 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 don't make me a target. And this is, it's an entire three minute love, uh, love letter to, to to this band. And I can't listen to that song without thinking of that video. If you're listening now, Adam Buxton, uh, don't make me a target, uh, you can thank me later. Um, I also think the album ends amazingly, although it's, I've, I've tried not to think what humanized the vacuum means for many a year. Bill, don't tell me, but do you know where Dorian's is?
1: Dorian's is, is a real bar. I've never been there. I haven't seen it. Uh, but I, I, I do know that it's a real place.
0: So this album, um, where is it for you? I mean, follow. I think following uh, Gibby Fiction, I think they do more, but they also do less. I think it's pop song after pop song after pop song.
1: Yeah, Uh, I I do love this album, and unfortunately, it's one I don't go back and listen to enough. Probably because you know you know that thing where you've got a band you love it, no one else really knows about them, and then all of a sudden they blow up huge. And in your mind, that album. Becomes the sellout album. And I, it, that's not really the case mm-hmm. with Spoon. And this really is start to finish a, like a perfect album. But I think for some reason, I dock it a couple of points in my mind just because of how popular it was. You know, when uh, uh, when the underdog started playing in every coffee shop and restaurant and airport lounge in the world, I, I loved it at first, and then I got so sick of hearing that song and those mariachi horns, I just I if I put it on right now, though, I would be very happy and I would love it. This really is a, a good album. Um, and I think it also shows some of Spoon's generosity because they've always loved doing covers of their friends' band's songs. And they had toured with a band called The Natural History who had a song called Don't You Ever and Brit took that Polished it up, reworked the lyrics a little bit, and it became one of Spoon's biggest hits. And this band, uh, the Natural History, that had already broken up by the time this song came out, they're now getting probably massive residuals uh, off of this favor that Brit did them, and 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 Brit really did improve their song and make it something really special.
0: Um, Emily, um. So we've talked before about the sort of the shonky guitar pixie sounding uh, spoon and the sort of more mature pop songs um, and then I think that by this point they're doing both of those things and I think they're doing them exceptionally well but it is also the album that suddenly got made them the band that was no longer cool to like. Um, were, they, were, they, were, they, were they too cool? Were they no longer cool for you Emily?
2: <laughs> oh, I mean it's not, not that. It's um i mean i'm having trouble putting in my feelings about this into words because on the one hand i feel like it's a totally you know it's a very solid pop album you know but there's something about it where i i have trouble mustering as much enthusiasm for it as i feel like i should maybe i don't know there's something i don't it, it becomes to me for me a little I mean, they're still they're solid pop songs, but there's something just it's a little too middle of the road for me. Okay. Um. I don't. I don't. I actually remember at the time when this came out. I think it was when they released it on CD. I think they did. It was an EP that it came with. Whatever that. Get nice. Is that what it was? Get called? nice. And I so I, I think I bought it. I was still a big enough. You know, I had enough goodwill towards food that I I bought the CD right when it came out and I. And Get Nice came with it. And I, I remember actually liking some of the like the weird demo-y almost sounding things that are on Get Nice better than I liked the actual proper album because I don't I, I don't know like it's it's I don't know if it's too it's like too perfectly produced or it's I don't know something about it. I have a hard time feeling really is, enthusiastic about it.
0: It is very shiny. Um, yeah. This is probably their shiniest album in terms of production and the production is it's, it's, it's very well crafted, but it's very, very, for me, It's if somebody wanted to craft a Hall & Oats album, um, this would be Spoon's Hall & Oates album, which I don't mean dismissively because I love this album, uh, but I totally get how it can be, it, it lacks edge.
2: Yeah, in a sense, like there's not, that's what, I, I feel like I'm just, uh, I'm not being articulate about this at all, but there's like, there's nothing wrong with it necessarily, but it, it, it doesn't have, I don't know if it's like lacking edge or just for me, it doesn't have that extra, Something, you know? yeah.
0: Something, to, something that that makes it stand out from from the crowd. Um Nick, um, I'm ass- I'm assuming you're gonna your 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 well monitor didn't peak too much with this
3: it's, one. Actually, I mean, I, I made quite a few notes, which is a good sign, I think, compared to some of the others. But um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think I think this sound is probably feels like for me the archetypal spoon sound. If you wanted to do a pastiche of a spoon song, you'd probably take "Don't Make Me a Target" as your as your template. I think. But, um, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) We could cut that into the trailer a million times. Did Underdog get a lot of airplay in the UK? Because Spoon is a band, like, I didn't really... I wasn't really aware of them at all, but maybe some of it was going in at some level because it sounds to me very much like the mid noughties indie sound. It's probably the brass.
0: I think probably in the fact that I know that Six Music, BBC Six Music, um, which I was listening to quite a lot of the time, and bands like poor wolf parade arctic uh uh, arcade fire spoon they were all getting a lot of 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 air yeah
3: and that's probably the time in my life when i listened to the most six music so it must have gone in at some level
0: (laughs) at at some level um okay so uh we're gonna move on um from Gaga to an album that was Oddly received at the time, um, but I think might be one of their best albums, Uh, Transference. Bill, before we we dive into this, is my brain playing tricks on me? In my head, I heard a story that for one of the tracks, they wanted a sound of a piano being played in a swimming pool. So they recorded a piano being played in a swimming pool. Is my brain just... (laughs) Lying to me here.
1: I hope that story's true. I've never heard it before, but I, I need to. I think they wanted the
0: echo of an empty swimming pool, and so the only way they could get that was. To oh, you didn't say it was
3: empty. Game. I'm disappointed oh, Empty <laughs> swimming pool tiles, <laughs>
0: old piano. They wheeled it down. They plopped it in the middle. Played the piano. Yeah, that's the sound we want. Wow. Um, which is the sort of level of detail uh that that Brit lives. Um, transference. Yeah. Um, do you think people didn't like it as much because it wasn't. Ga 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 Ga? I'm, I'm
1: sure that was the case. And I think they deliberately made an album that was not ga ga, ga 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 In fact, when we talk about Spoon sounding so polished, I mean, there are a lot of polished tracks on Transference, but there are also several tracks that sound like they're demos. I mean, I think this album opens up sounding like a demo album that, that the very first track uh, before Destruction uh has sort of a lo fi sound to it, which is a real contrast with gaga ga ga gaga ga gaga ga, 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 ga. and uh but this album's got some real bangers on it too, like uh written in reverse and mystery zone i I love both those songs um but there's something really unsettling in this album about a lot of the juxtapositions between uh lo fi stuff really slickly polished stuff and then they do things like mystery zone cuts off right in the middle of a phrase and leaves you feeling very like it's left you in the mystery zone um and i just i like this album a lot i might admire it more than i i like it because it's it can be a challenging listen um but then weirdly in the middle of it it's got that really sweet lullaby goodnight laura where you know brit is telling someone else it's going to be okay but most of the rest of the album makes it sound like brit doesn't think anything besides that is going to be okay
0: yeah it's it's, it's definitely it sounds like an album an album of when you get bands who are traditionally pop which spoon obviously aren't and then they have their experimental album when they go this is our pet sounds uh it sounds like that's the album, this is the album that band would have, would have made. Um, Nick, this is the more experimental one. I'm going to tentatively, this
3: I'm going to tentatively declare this my favorite Spoon album, but, but, but working that out is still a work in progress that may get abandoned.
0: <laughs> um, I think this is the album that uh, I think, uh, what's it, written in reverse, got a lot of airplay. Okay. um in the uk at the time I, I remember that one definitely because i was aware of spoon now i mean i knew them and i i was waiting for this album to come out for the first time
3: but it's interesting like, what bill was saying about some of the tracks sounding more like demos because um i'd been thinking about some of the other albums and that maybe i'd have liked to have heard the demo versions of these songs before they produced the shit out of them and um <laughs> And on this one, I I hadn't noted that in particular as as the thing that I was liking about it, but I'm wondering if maybe that is why. If there's a more lo-fi thing, sort of. But but you know,
0: you know that the reason they sound like a lo-fi demo is because he's produced a shit out of it. I I get that (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But
3: what I felt was that overall, as an album, it had. uh, I liked the overall tone of it, but it was also kind of slightly less angular. That kind of very sparse sound that they do it was less like that and I'd never really isolated that as the thing I don't like, but this seemed to have less of it and I liked it more. So maybe I'm onto something here.
0: Okay. Um, Emily, you were losing your love for the, for Spoon in the last, last, last album. Um, and in fact, even on Gimme Fiction, they were starting to go away from, from the band that you liked at college. Um, did this do anything to bring you back?
2: So this was, this was actually the first Spoon album that I, that I didn't buy. So, and I never, I was just sort of like, had kind of, I don't know, I, my tastes had maybe shifted in terms of the things I was listening to at, at this point. Um, and I just never, I never bothered <laughs> tracking this album down. So I actually only heard it for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, and I was, I was I was pleasantly surprised, actually. I really, I mean, the, the opening track that, uh, Before Destruction, the, the one that Bill described as sounding... Kind of, like, a demo, I really liked a lot. <laughs> a lot there's
1: nothing wrong actually. with that sound,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I mean, there's this kind of like buzzy kind of synth noises, and it's sort of this sort of like mysterious feel. I think I just I liked that it 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 didn't sound as much like what I'd come to start expecting a swoon album to sound like after Gimme Fiction and after Gaga Gaga. Ga Ga. Um, so I yeah, I overall I was I was I was pleasantly surprised. There are a few songs that seemed Went on for a long time. Uh, speaking of, typically, I think of Spoon songs as being very, you know, disciplined in that way, um, and that was not universally true for this album. But yeah, overall, it had some some good stuff on it.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely the album you make after you become globally famous. When you go right, um, we're not sellouts. We can still do we can still do stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, for me, it's. It, I think this this is one of my favorite ones. Um, I think basically from Gaga, Gaga, Gaga. Onwards, um, I listened to, to the last one, five albums quite quite uh, consistently. Um, yeah. Where's yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't I, know
1: if we were moving on yet. But I was
0: I was I was literally about to ask you if there's anything. Wait, wait, wait. wait this will be really smooth. Uh, so, Bill, is there anything you want to cover before we move on?
1: <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I think one thing that that hangs over this album for me and makes me fond of it um, and puts me in a certain mindset is that. Uh, A few months before it came out, uh, my son, who was 14 at the time, was visiting me in Chicago where I lived. Uh, It was over Christmas and and New Year's. I took him to Milwaukee for New Year's Eve uh, to see Spoon play a New Year's Eve show that night. And we got a hotel where we were staying overnight and just all kinds of weird things happened that night. Um, The... Uh, we went out to get dinner, and it turns out in Wisconsin, minors can drink alcohol if uh, they are accompanied by a, a parent or guardian <laughs> who give them permission. And uh, a server was bringing around New Year's Eve drinks, and and had given one to my son before I could even say yes or no. <laughs> we had no idea what was what was going on uh, after the show. There were a bunch of kids having a New Year's Eve party in our hotel, and it turned into a giant riot that spilled out into the street. And we were trying to get into the hotel and get safe before the police showed up. And there were, you know, people punching each other. And we saw a girl rip another girl's blouse right off. (laughs) And It was just a strange night. And that's the first night uh, the album was not out yet. But uh, I had just heard Mystery Zone for the first time played by Spoon live on stage. And so that's the that is Mystery Zone night for me.
3: Wow!
0: So in my head now, that's the music video to Mystery Zone. It's, <laughs> is the street riot, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So that's a perfect way to move on. Um, but we're not. <laughs> but we're not going to move on directly to the next Spoon album. We're going to take a slight detour. Um, about fifteen minutes ago, I referenced a couple of American bands that were getting a lot of airplay in the early noughties, mid noughties and one of them was Wolf Parade. Um, Wolf Parade are probably one of my favorite bands of this millennia, century, however we want to call it the last 20 years. And Brit and Dan Boekner, Boekner, I can never pronounce it, got together for what is essentially a super group, we could say, called The Divine Fits, released one album, although apparently there's another one at some point in the future of, it sounds like Wolf Parade and it sounds like Spoon. Right, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe a little more techno y spoon than we'd gotten to that point, but uh, but yeah, that's what it sounds like.
0: It's, yeah. um, it's kind of
1: like a split EP at
0: really, album length, it, it really is. And sometimes you list some of the tracks on, on a, a thing called Divine Fits, you go, Oh, this is this is a spoon track, and then sometimes Dan starts growling and starts playing his guitars. I mean, I mean it's it's not going to win people round to either band. I don't think it's the best Spoon album and it's not the best Wolf Prey album, but it is a nice little um, diversion along the way. Uh, I'm going to show to you first, Nick, because I know that hmm. you sent me a message going, I think I had an epiphany with Spoon. Oh, no, it's not a Spoon album.
3: Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> so so before I started listening to all the albums for this podcast, I kind of just you know made a list of all the albums and the years and stuff and thought, you know, I'm on top of this, I can do this. And I was listening to a, a thing called Divine Fits, thinking it was a Spoon album, and I genuinely thought, "Hey, this I, this is the Spoon I could like. This is good." And I that's when I wrote to Ewan and said, "Hey, I, I think I've cracked Spoon." And then and then it turned out it wasn't a Spoon album. So um, so what was, was it?
0: So what about it? Did you? Because to me, I guess
3: I think it was the electronic direction that I thought Spoon had gone in, because <laughs> it was like it almost always <laughs> sounded like they were trying to do something like that. But as a guitar band, and suddenly they moved, or hadn't, and as as it turned out, <laughs> towards a more fully electronic sound. And I was thinking, this is interesting. I like it, and I thought this fits Brit Daniel more, and Daniels, whatever Daniel. Um, yes. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of disappointed when I realized that I was completely wrong. But also, it was, it was uh, interesting that they covered the uh, shivers. Um, because it's a, an old, I mean, it's a song lots of bands have covered, but it's an old birthday party song uh, written by Roland S. Howard. And um, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that.
0: Uh, Emily, did you get a chance to listen to this one?
2: Yes, I did. Again, I, I thought this was interesting because I, I um, based on what I knew about it beforehand, I was thinking of a sort of like, oh, maybe this is in line with some of the, the, the different parts of their sound that you hear on the next two albums after this. And I spoiler but i am not a huge fan of the most recent two albums um so i was like, i was like i'm not gonna like this but actually i quite liked this i thought the divine fits album was really good like some of the things they're doing are not unlike some things that they'll do over the next few albums but to me it was more successful on this album actually um,
0: i think wasn't it the keyboard player from divine fits who then got brought into spoon bill yes
1: yeah yeah um so divine Fits kind of spliced some D- DNA into Spoon. Alex Fishel, I think his name is, was a keyboard player from a band called Papa that uh, Wolf Parade had toured with. So he was part of Defined Fits. And when it was time for a Brit to go back to Spoon, he took Alex Fischel with him. And, and <laughs> that ended up infusing the next, the next couple albums i
0: think i've just got this image now of like the band getting back together in the studio and, dude, and like, oh, how is your summer brit well i was in another band and um i brought us a new keyboard player which is, <laughs> <laughs> okay that was a very i just want a very brief diversion into the five fits just wanted to touch upon them um and then we have they want my soul which is big and epically produced again with big sounds um I think this is a companion album to Ga 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 but without the pop. Um, I think it has uh, some of the, uh, don't make me a target uh, bombast, but then manage it for an entire album. Um, even to the point of was there's an excellent podcast out there called Song Exploder. And there's an episode about um, Inside Out and how Jimmy uh, was saying that basically Brit turned up one day and said, I want to do a Dr. Dre song. Let's do a Dr. Dre song. And when you listen to that song again now, it's like, boom, boom. There's a lot of that sort of sound of gangster rap, late 90s, West, sort of Dr. Dre production in there. And then they do something with it. Um, yeah, I think this I, is brilliant. I think Emily's wrong. Emily, you're off the pod. <laughs> no, I, I think this is brilliant. Bill, Bill, why is this brilliant? Why am I right?
1: <laughs> you're you're uh, absolutely right. It's a, it's a brilliant album uh I think part of it is that they were is that spoon's going for a much more dreamier sound here, and I think they've had elements of that all along with songs like you know uh the Ghost of you lingers or my Japanese Cigarette Case and things like that. but here they bring this this really uh dreamy, almost psychedelic atmosphere into the album, even the songs that uh that are pretty rocking. Um, have some of that element in the lyrics if if nothing else um, and I think you know with the producers that they were working with uh, Dave Friedman, who had done tons of stuff with the uh, Flaming Lips and and I don't know who else there's a huge list of wait of- is this is, is
0: who is there's a Flaming Lips producer who makes everything sound like he just turns up all the dials is, yeah is it this exactly
1: one? yeah yeah oh
0: that makes sense
1: yeah yeah <laughs> all the all the reverb all the all the everything just throw it all in there
0: <laughs> um there was a can who there was a band clap your hands say yeah and i think their second album was produced by him and it, it, it's like he just goes in the studio and goes huh i've got 21 things if i put them all up to 11 um, yeah he's... there's no quiet bits it's just loud."
1: You're right. He's I'm looking at the list of other bands he's produced. Clap Your Hands Say Yes yeah, on there. Uh Mercury Rev, Sparkle Horse, MGMT, Tame Impala, Cafe Tacuba, um even Mogwai and and Low. I mean, you can hear yeah. all
0: Wall of sound. All there's that. A, yeah. A, the dynamic yeah. range. I think someone they recognized the uh Flaming Lips versus Uh, The Pink Robot
1: or Yashimi. Yashimi versus the. I can't, I
0: can never think of the actual title because my friend used to sing Steve Bashimi, They Won't Believe Me when that came (laughs) out. And so that's all I've got. I've got Steve Bashimi battles the Pink Robots. But apparently that's one of the loudest albums ever made because everything's just turned up to 20. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and I saw Flaming Lips on that tour and it's just a huge arena filled with floating balloons that are. Uh, guided by, I think, I think that epitomizes this kind of sound. It's just, you know, giant, giant spheres wafting every way (laughs) through the air.
0: Emily, um, do you like giant spheres wafting their way through the air?
2: Uh, um, Sometimes. um. (laughs)
3: It's a loaded question.
0: Um, So before you said that you didn't find this one particularly um, a good direction, Um, did you have a chance to revisit it? Is it, Why? Why? Yeah, and I, mean,
2: why? And I, I should say i'm not saying it's uh, with any of these spoon albums i don't i mean none of them are are bad albums necessarily just i feel like with this this one i think might be my least favorite possibly and i i, I think it's something about the production in part and it's the way that you know there was some of that kind of layering of more like keyboards or like electronic noises on the, the divine fits album as well that i i liked way it was done better there than here there's something that is just feels flattened about the sound to me and it i don't know it, it it feels i hate to i hate to sound more pejorative than i mean it but it feels a little bland to me um but i will say even with with that um kind of negative review you know even on albums that aren't my favorite of theirs there's often at least like one really good pop song on it that i'm like oh well i, I don't really need to listen to the album but like that sounds great and for me on that one um it was let me be mine which i thought was a great like again like a great headphones you have your headphones on and you have it turned up loud and you can kind of hear all the different you know ranges of the noise <laughs> that's coming at you um so there, yeah there's still like there were still high points but overall it to, to me it too easily kind of faded into the the background this one i think
0: i think you're right on the, on the sound as well because obviously previously they'd they'd be, they'd be known for minimalism mm-hmm. And, and taking three or four uh, sounds and making big, uh, oddly big soundscapes with them. Whereas with this one, getting someone else in to help me with the production, it does sound very big, even from the opening sort of um, drums from the rent I pay. Um, Nick, what do, you, what do your notes say? <laughs>
3: you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> I Even made I made no no notes. I'd have written that down. No, it was see, all things, a dream. Yeah, no. This so so. I think this has to be a, a dip in the well But I did listen to the uh, podcast you sent about Inside Out, mm-hmm. and I found that really interesting. You see, so listening to a member of the band deconstruct it, and then listening to how that came out, and and then understanding what was going on in it, did make it really interesting. But in a very cold, dispassionate way for me. It's like, you know, okay, I can appreciate what they're doing and how they're bringing all these different sounds and, you know, the whole Dr. Dre thing. It's fascinating. But did I remember it when I listened to it the first time?
0: Nope.
3: All gone.
0: I think that might be it as well. I mean, Obviously, we've mentioned the production a lot, and it is a band whose production, I, I love the fact that they are producing things so well, um, but that can also sometimes come across as sterile and a little bit medical. Yeah, um, that's, that's just
3: kind of how I find it. Yeah. A lot of the time I just want Spoon to just, I don't know, to do something a little more visceral and that. Yeah. I,
0: I, I, yeah. oh, well, a couple of years ago, I went to see them live uh, in London. I, I, I live in Spain and I flew over to go and see them. And the entire gig, it felt like they were just about to let loose, mm. always just about to go off the deep end. And never did.
3: Really? That's kind of disappointing. Cause, sorry, because I, I, I was always, always thinking that maybe seeing them live would be the thing that broke them for me. As a it was
0: only in my um, mathematical mind In the very end of the encore did they sort of wig out a bit. But they always seemed to be on the cusp and never, yeah. and they never lost control. Uh, yeah. Bill, sorry.
1: No, I, I've always thought that, that Spoon is a band that you need to see live if, uh, if you've got any interest in them. And it, maybe it was a bit of an off night for them because I've always found them to be extremely energetic. Um, they let loose more than they do on the records. And maybe I'll have more to say about Live Spoon on Hot Thoughts when we get there. OK. okay.
3: Emily, you were going to say something. I cut you off.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, actually, just uh, listening to um, Nick voice his uh, dissatisfaction. <laughs> it's, it's actually a little it, that's helpful for me in a way. I'm just, I, I've been trying to figure out how to describe what it is that this caused me to be less into them or, or, or especially kind of the albums as they go on. And it's, I think that I want just something just a little bit more visceral. I think that's it's part of the same thing too. Okay.
3: Lucky. If they ever came to Budapest, I'd totally go and see it. I mean, I w- I'd be very fascinated to see them live.
0: No one's ever going, no one's ever touring ever again. Well, no, it's obviously a
3: hypothetical <laughs> thing. Going to Budapest is always a stretch as it is, but obviously now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay so in the previous pod, which was queens of the stone age at one point i mentioned that one of their albums was basically their prince album and that every we talked about how every band has a prince album in them um it turns out that spoon also had a prince album in them with uh hot thoughts which really is the sexy guitar that from early on um trying a bit more disco a bit of an electronic um, it was odd the first time I heard it. It was not what I expected. Um, I think it's a really good album, but with one massive caveat, which is the final track. Um, I remember—I don't even know what it's called. I don't care. I listened to it once, decided I hated it, and I was never listening to it again. Despite the fact that the album is perfectly symmetrical and the tracks on the second side echo the tracks on the first side in the same order to the point that track the last track has the same uh, tune as the last track on side one. Doesn't matter. Doesn't exist to me. It's an awful, awful ending of the of the album. Brilliant start. And no one can tell me I'm wrong. Am I wrong,
1: Bill? Am I wrong? <laughs> I, I would say you're not wrong about that. That song track's called "Us," and it does it does seem kind of a, a limp, smooth, jazzy way to end this album, which I think is really good overall. Uh, this. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Prince connection because uh, it's always been sitting there back in in Spoon's DNA somewhere. You can hear you can hear that sexiness come out in some songs, like maybe uh, I turn my camera on. but way, way early on, I think maybe the second Spoon single, the B-side was a cover of "Party Up" by Prince, which they do it they do they did a great job of completely transforming that song. Um, but they've, Prince has been in there all along and here they really, they really unleash it. Hot thoughts. The title track is outstanding. Um, do I have to talk you into it? I mean, just the title really.
0: I, I, do have a, I do have a question about that one. I I, I I meant to go and do some research to find out what that song's about. Cause it always sounds slightly uncomfortable. Um, as a sort of do i have to talk you into it do i have to i was like wow. particularly as it particularly as it's an album that's all about sexy stuff in in terms of sound hot thoughts um kind of talk you into it it sounds it sounds sleazy am i just projecting here
1: <laughs> this is one of the albums where i've never pried into the lyrics too deeply maybe i don't i don't want to i i, I listen to this album for for the vibe um for songs like Can I Sit Next to You, um, which, you know, that that's a fantastic song. And also I, sounds sleazy. <laughs> it does sound sleazy. Um, but early on, uh I'd gotten divorced and was seeing someone new. Um she's a jazz musician, um was really into uh, uh, older soul and I took her to see Spoon because I had tickets already and there was a lot writing on this and amazingly she came out a a huge Spoon fan largely because of the the, I think some of the sexy dancey vibe and the really solid drumming from Jim Eno Um, but you know can I sit next to you is you know one of our sexy songs now
0: (laughs) (laughs)
3: too much information
0: (laughs) The only thing I do know about the lyrics, the only thing I do know about the lyrics on this album is on the title track, um, the lines "Your teeth shining so white, light up the street in Shibuya tonight." Apparently, somebody was chatting up Brit's girlfriend in Japan, and that was the line he used: "Oh, your teeth are so shiny and, and bright, and as if that was going to work and be successful." But hey, what do I know? We have got two English. To british people here talking to americans i'm keeping my mouth closed so nobody can look at my british teeth <laughs> emily um how did the how did the prince album hit you
2: uh I, I like this one a little bit better actually the compared to the the previous one um i especially i like the title track a lot and i especially liked um it's got the the, the name of the song that is always confusing to me because it runs a bunch of words together Whis- whisper i'll listen to here is that, is that right is that the name mm-hmm. of it Yep, I think you have to say "whisper" I listen to hear. You can't really like separate the, the syllables <laughs> because of the way.
1: Whisper we'll I listen to hear. It.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I mean, I especially I have kind of a soft spot for songs that start out one way and then midway through kind of change into a different kind of song, and that sort of that sort of happens in that one. It kind of all of a sudden it just gets really kind of fast and driving. I Really, I liked that one a lot. So um, yeah, this one this one worked better for me.
0: I do think that the, the, the guitar on the title track are some of the catchiest guitars they've done for many an album. The Hot Thoughts guitar is just, mm-hmm. it's jangly and catchy and it's stuck in your head and they repeat yeah. it for a few minutes and it's still there long after the album has, has finished. Nick, yeah, tell I'll, me you've got some notes and the notes are <laughs> sexy guitar.
3: Well, the the title track for me is the one that, it's the one that stayed with me as well. Um, and and I, I did kind of enjoy this album. It got a few listens. Um, it felt like things had picked up from the previous one. Um, but that's where my notes run out.
0: <laughs> well, um, we haven't turned Nick in, into a spoon fan. Um, but to be honest, I, I didn't think I'd be that successful on this. Um, yeah, for me, Hot Thoughts is a great album. Like I said, um, in my rather uh, rambly manner, uh, they designed it so that the tracks are symmetrical with each other. Um, so, you, you start each side with a sort of upbeat one with guitar. You end each side with the same uh, tune, essentially, echoing, uh, whether it's jazzy or or pan. I've got pan pipes stuck in my head. I haven't listened to it for so long.
3: I do like um, how the title, the, the, the cover looks like Tago Mago. It's just a small detail. I can't right. Yeah, no. that's, Which I now know that the band didn't like and referred to as Vomit Head, but you know.
1: That that panpipes reference makes me think of "I Ain't the One." I think it's the oh, second yeah. track on side two. And there's no panpipes in it, but it's like it's got that really, um, uh, really moody electric piano that sounds like something Ten CC might have done in the studio, ah, all you know, again. forty years ago. <laughs>
3: Yeah. But, I th-
0: but I think that's it. I mean, we get so caught up with the words indie or indie rock or alternative rock or, or whatever. Um, but particularly like as an, a, 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 an English person looking over to, say, the US, um, there is a proud history of very mainstream bands um, like the Hall & Oates or some latter-day Billy Joel or whatnot that it's not necessarily an embarrassment to say that you like. In the UK, we've always tried to... A lot of us try to chase the next cool thing. The music press has always wanted the next big thing immediately, straight away, and we churn through bands very quickly. Whereas it seems that in the US, it takes bands a while to become big, because obviously of geography, etc., and they they've done the work and they they so it's like their third or fourth album before they get massive recognition, and. A lot of the time, some of that becomes sound more of a mainstream sound, maybe, but it's mainstream pop rock there's nothing wrong with that, whereas in the u k we've ditched those bands we've ditched bands by then first album brilliant let's put you everywhere you're rich and famous it's never going away it's gone away. go away who's next and I think <laughs> the the American sound does always sound often a little bit more evolved, I guess by the time i've heard it it's very rare to hear an, an American band's first e p um Blow yeah,
1: up. where they're where they're fully formed. Yeah, they get probably get some room to grow.
0: Um uh, so this album was about three years ago, I believe. As we're talking now, there is a new album due. Although good. obviously with, with the pandemic, who knows whether uh, they have enough time to do all the production that he, he no doubt wants to do. Oh yeah, um, I have no idea what it will sound like. It'll sound like Spoon, but not Spoon. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Who knows? I mean, they did it. They did a single in 2019, No Bullets Spent, that sounds like it, it, it's a little rockier than anything. Um, I mean, more, more rock-oriented than anything on Hot Thoughts. Um, a little more political, too, in my opinion. But who knows if they're going to slide back a little bit in that direction, or if that was just a one-off they did for their Greatest Hits album.
0: Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully Spoon will release their, their their new album immediately after this podcast launches. That would be nice. Oh, um, because then we, then we have
3: to, then you know, our uh, claim to be the complete discography is blown up. We're gonna have to do wait, a top. Wait, 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 wait. Can we, can hi, we do hi, a top up episode?
0: No, we don't need to. Um, let's just go. So, um, I really like insert album title here. I thought it was, <laughs> it was it was a nice return to form. What do you think, Nick?
3: Yeah, it's all right.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bill, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, Emily, so the
1: pleasure was all mine.
0: Thank you. Emily, fantastic to have you back. And we will be hearing from you in an upcoming episode. Um, Nick?
3: Yeah.
0: Um, also, listen, I've been a bit rambly today. My, my, um, so uh, there's going to be a lot of editing and me stuttering more than usual. So thanks for sticking with us. And we'll catch you next time. And I'll hand you over to Nick's goodbye after this.
3: God, I love recording these shows. I hope you have half as much fun listening to them. It just remains for me to say thank you to William Shun, author of The Accidental Terrorist, Confessions of a Reluctant Missionary, For his loving introductions to today's albums, which he presented alongside Ewan, to whom I'm as grateful as ever for his unflagging efforts stitching this podcast together. We were joined for the third time by Emily Baldoni, who we're always happy to have on the show. Thank you, the whole damn lot of you. The Temp Fans theme was written by Jonathan Fisher, and you can find out more about the background music we use on links in the podcast description. Join us again soon as we're always hard at work on the next episode and we've got one of my very favourite bands coming up. Part of the origin story of temporary fandoms, in fact. It's going to be huge. I'm Nick Hilditch and I go to sleep
0: and I think that you're next to me.